welcome to Guru Please, the show about pushing the limits of life and stepping up to live with more meaning, more purpose, and more passion. I'm your host, Jessica Sun. I'd like to introduce Kim Addis. Kim is president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching. The foundational belief of Frame of Mind Coaching is that a person's thinking has a greater impact on their outcomes than any other factor. She helps leaders, executives, and entrepreneurs become aware of the thoughts, perspectives, and beliefs that are holding them back. She's also an author, speaker, coach, and mother of five. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very happy to be talking to you today. Awesome. So before we started recording, you mentioned that your last name, Addis, is Egyptian Jewish, which is an interesting combination. Um, I'd like to hear more about like, how, how you identify with that and, and how it affects you today. Well, it is a strange blend, right? They don't seem to be go, to go together. But the, the truth is that my, both of my parents were uh, born and raised in Egypt, and they were both Jewish. And if you want to even a piece of information that's even more crazy is that they were first cousins. Pretty crazy, right? Yeah. They figured they both came from a good family, and that's how it worked. Uh, but, you know, the how did it impact me? Well, definitely the Egyptian culture played a big role in my upbringing, uh, and so did food. Like, food plays a massive role in my upbringing, uh, because both Egyptians and Jewish people are obsessed with food. So imagine that, a double dose for me. Uh, but honestly, like, you know, from my perspective, the Middle Eastern culture is very much adept at customer service. And they have a different kind of, I would say, way of interacting, a way of hosting, a way of being hospitable. And that has influenced my coaching business tremendously. It's played a massive role in my approach on so, so many levels. So, I mean, it shows up all over the place. Yeah. So you still have that flavor of like Middle Eastern hospitality that's passed through your parents to you. A hundred percent. You know, when, when somebody comes to the house, for example, especially in the day, you know, my mother, first of all, was super warm, super welcoming, super uh, like, you know, she would take out every single plate from the fridge and put it on the table. And then she would serve the guests. And if, you know, they would say, oh, you know, just want a little bit, she would make sure it was way more than a little bit on everybody's plate. Like you couldn't leave the house without eating or drinking something. And, you know, you just felt like very warm in that home. And for me, that is really a very, very important element in building my business and how I want my clients to be treated, that they feel like they're warm and welcomed in my home. Very important. I see. So yeah, it's definitely carried through to what you do today. Absolutely. Tell me about how you started coaching and how you built Frame of Mind. So I'm a bit of a serial entrepreneur. Before I started coaching, I used to own a different business. I used to have a simulation-based assessment company. So what does that mean? It means that if you were running a business and you wanted to hire someone, you would use these assessments to make sure you were making better hiring decisions. So we would create simulations and 
figure out what a person's skill set was, what their IQ was, what their personality was like, and that would give us an idea of whether or not they would perform well at different jobs. So I was always interested in leadership. And so I ran this company and what ended up happening is we got a lot of data. We tested hundreds and hundreds, well, hundreds of thousands really of people and tried to understand what is the difference between a top performer and other people. Like what makes some people really likely to succeed compared to others? And what we discovered was that some people have a higher degree of emotional resilience than other people. And that characteristic was really a differentiator. Like those people who have a high degree of emotional resilience are much more likely to succeed than those people who don't. So when you collected data, you were able to go back and see how those people performed at their job and then collect more information there to assess what the common denominator was? Well, so that's right. What we would do is we would research and say, okay, so let's look at the characteristics of top performers. And now if you're interested in this job, let's see if you match those characteristics. Mm. Right? So, you know, we were looking at how, you know, may, is intelligence a factor? Is personality a factor? Is skill set a factor? Like what's really going to make a difference in terms of selecting the right person for any role. How do you measure emotional resilience? What we do is we put them under a series of stressful situations where they fail. Ah. And we see how they respond to failure. Okay. Like, for example? Uh, it could be a sales call where, you know, you're trying to make a sale, but the person says, thanks, but no thanks. The person might even say, you know, slam the door in your face or, uh, you know, or they might give you a green light and then pull it out from under you. Say, no, sorry, I changed my mind. Mm -hmm. Right. That kind of thing. That's just an example. But, you know, what we have seen is that people who are able to bounce back from adversity, right, from failure, from negative um, news or negative feedback, those people are the people who have the stamina, the strength, the call it the muscle to stick it out in the long run those are the people who are going to be likely to succeed but what is what is that exactly right what is emotional resilience it's the ability to bounce back from adversity with speed and agility and take that adversity and turn it into some kind of advantage that became very interesting to me and that's where frame of mind coaching was born because i thought there are a lot of coaching companies out there and most coaching companies are teaching people how to reach their goals by managing their actions, right? Mm. By saying, okay, here are the 10 things you need to do. Let's go. I'm going to hold you accountable rather than by helping them build their emotional resilience. And I thought people know what to do, but a lot of times they're just not doing it. I wonder why. Right. And, and that brought me to this whole idea that if we could help people build their mental muscle, their backbone, then they could fail, but that wouldn't debilitate them. They wouldn't stay down forever. They'd get back up faster and keep going. Okay. And how do you teach somebody emotional resilience? 
So emotional resilience is built by teaching people how to interpret events. Okay. okay so, well, you ever watch American Idol? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what happens? Like a whole bunch of people want to be singers, and at the end, like there's only ten, right? Ten right. left. Yeah. And they're all like finalists, the top ten, top ten. But how many people are going to win? One. Only one. So what happens? There are nine people who lose, but each of those people respond to the loss differently, right? Some mm-hmm. people feel like it's a devastating loss. Other people feel like, you know what? I just launched my career. Other people feel like, wow, that was a great experience. I just feel so grateful to be part of this group, right? So same event, lots of different responses. And so what's the difference? It's the way we interpret what's happening to us. So people with a high degree of emotional resilience interpret negative news, what would be traditionally viewed as negative news, as opportunity, Mm -hmm. right? They look for the lesson, the silver lining, the opportunity, the hidden message or the hidden gift in what's in front of them. Why? Because it's always there. Mm -hmm. Some people can see it. Some people cannot. Mm -hmm. And then how do people practice that? What if, you know, it's really hard to do and something traumatic or just negative happened, what would you say somebody should do at that point? Well, we coach people and our goal is to help people learn how to respond or rebound with greater speed, right? So how do we teach them? We show them how their thinking affects their outcomes. We show them how their beliefs determine how they feel. And then we help them make small incremental shifts to their thinking and their beliefs so that they see things differently and experience things differently. Mm -hmm. Right? So if you have an experience, I'll give you another example. Okay. So lots of people get divorced. Some people have a really, really hard time with the divorce process. It's not an easy experience, but some people allow it to take them down for years and years and years and years. Some people kind of say, wow, okay, you know, it was good while it lasted. I'm out of there. I can now move on with my life. And they do that. Some people don't move on very fast, right? And so the idea is how can you look at a past experience and, and interpret it or position it in such a way that it was a benefit rather than a deficit, right? That you look at it as, It was part of my life's experiences that brought me to this point rather than, man, you know, I'm a failure. I'm not good at relationships. I'm not lovable and all that kind of stuff that absolutely happens. Mm, I think you're touching on a lot of different things like being grateful for how things are right now and then also being flexible and adapting to new situations. I'm definitely talking about both of those, but in order for either of those to happen, whenever anything happens to us, we have an instant, even uh, like not even noticeable moment where we're interpreting those events as good or bad. Mm -hmm. What we're trying to do is help build people's natural knee-jerk reaction to say all events are good, even though they may appear bad. Oh, okay. All events are good. All events are okay. They're okay. It's just an event. 
the, the interpretation or the perspective we have determines whether they're good or not. What creates our interpretation? What creates our, good question, our upbringing, our influences, our parents, the messaging we received, the social network we're a part of, the things we look at or tune into on, you know, in the media, um, our nature, our character, our wiring. But at the end of the day, it's our beliefs, right? So all of these inputs influence our beliefs. So what we believe to be true will determine how we feel about anything. So if we believe that, again, getting divorced is the worst, most horrible, awful thing that could happen to us and means that we're horrible human beings, we're unlovable, that um, we're destined to failure and on and on and on, if that's the belief, then we're going to feel pretty bad. If, on the other hand, we believe like, hey, we've just been given a second chance, right? And we've been released from something that wasn't so good, that's going to affect mm-hmm. our experience too, right? Those yeah. two viewpoints have a massive influence over the way we feel about that very same experience. Right. They're completely different ways to see the same thing. Exactly. Have you seen that these techniques um, and, and the things you learned when in your other company doing data analysis, have you applied that in your own life in different aspects? Of course. Of, uh, uh, you know, pretty much every day. You know, I apply it in building my business when things don't always go how I wanted them to go. I apply it with my kids when my kids are just doing their thing. And sometimes I think their thing is a little odd, right? So <laughs> I apply it in my marriage. So I'm always applying it, mm-hmm. right? Always, always, always for every situation, both the positive and again, what may feel like the negative. Hey, I apply it when I step on the scale in the morning. Mm-hmm. And the number isn't where I want it to be, right? I'm applying it all the time. Yeah. Well, let's walk step by step in detail what happens when we interpret something. Say a situation happens. You look at the scale. The number is really off. You're surprised. Interpretation occurs. Like, what's next? What's the next step? So one interpretation could be, you know, I'm weak. I suck. I can't do this. Uh, It's easy for everybody else. It's not easy for me. I'll always weigh more than I want to weigh. I hate how I look. You know, I'm getting old. I can't get a grasp of this, right? That's one story. Got that story? That's not a very happy story. Another story is, okay, here's where we are. I can look in the mirror and say, you know what? I'm not bad for my age. And here's what I'm going to do tomorrow. And here's kind of the plan I want to put in place. Or I could say, okay, so like I indulged this past week, but you know what, this week I'm going to get back on track. It's not a big deal. And my weight doesn't define me. It doesn't mean that I'm a horrible, terrible person and that my character is weak. It doesn't mean any of that. In the other story, it meant all of that. Okay. What if you notice yourself interpreting that first way in a more negative light of yourself? So, so let's go back. It's not that you notice yourself interpreting things. You notice feeling bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you get on the scale and you see a number and all of a sudden you just feel shitty. Sorry. Yeah. You feel yeah. bad, right? Yeah. You feel grumpy. You feel moody. You feel down. You feel depressed. You feel irritable. Okay, right. That's what you notice. You feel negatively. 
So the negative feeling comes from the thoughts you think, the beliefs you have. So you go, oh, man, I'm, think I'm feeling bad. What are the thoughts that are fueling this bad feeling? Because the feelings I have come from the thoughts I think. And guess what? The thoughts I think are in my control. We think they're not, but they are. So to, to go back and then assess, okay, what are those beliefs that cause these feelings? Right. So, so we go back and we look at the beliefs that say, I believe that I am not a good person. I believe that I'm not a strong person. I believe that I'm not a lovable person, whatever those things are because of the number on the scale. And all of that is something I've invented. Because mm. it's all not true. Yeah, the number on the scale may not have anything to do with how lovable you are and, you know, how capable May not? You are. Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right? But the stories we make up make it seem like it's all, it all has to do with, you know, how unlovable we are. And then it's exactly. just another example of that. Exactly. More proof, right? So what you're really saying is, and I say this all the time, is that we all have beliefs and we typically look for evidence to support our beliefs. So, oh, you know, I'm not strong or I'm not important. Okay, let's take that one. I'm not important. And oh, my friend Joe didn't call me. You see, that proves it. Well, if say we do have that belief, I'm not important. But then so let's just say to replace it, you know, to feel better, we say we are, I am important. Well, but do you believe it? Can you go from I'm not important to I am important in one thought? You're not right. Really. No, that's, that's difficult. Right? Let's do baby steps first. Yeah. Exactly. So what I want to do is climb up a ladder, right? Of better feeling thoughts. So I can go from I'm not important mm -hmm. because Joe didn't call me to you know what, maybe Joe got busy with something. Mm -hmm. Is that believable? Yeah. Sure. And then we want to climb up the ladder from there and say, you know, Joe's called me every week for the past six weeks, or we've always taken turns. Just because he missed one doesn't mean that I'm not important. Or, and then it could go from there to, I've been friends with Joe for six years. And sometimes we go through periods of quiet. That's normal. Or and then it could go to, hey, I have more friends than just Joe. Susie called me. There you go. I feel okay. And on and on and on. And we keep climbing up. But we're always looking for evidence to support our beliefs, no matter what they are. Mm -hmm. So if the belief is, man, like I'm just dumb. And then you see, let's say, a crossword puzzle in the newspaper. Or the magazine and you look at it and you go man I can't answer those I'm I'm terrible at those you see how it goes you see how it works you right. keep finding examples to prove yourself to be true yeah and is it true that sometimes we don't even know what we believe about ourselves it's always true because our beliefs are largely invisible like so you're not aware of what you believe that's where our coaching comes into play because my job and process, the coaching process I use, is designed to uncover the beliefs you have. Mm, I see. How do you uncover that? 
So what we do when we coach people is we do two things. Okay. So first of all, we have calls every week. We record every call and we ask our clients to listen to the recordings because when you can start to hear yourself speak, you can start to hear the stories you tell, the language you use, the places where you get emotionally caught up, the places where you get trapped over and over again, the people in your life who irritate you and agitate you and why they do, and on and on. So when you listen to the recording, you become an observer of yourself. So huge part of this blind spot we have is we don't have the capacity or the tools to observe ourselves. The second thing we do is that we ask our clients to journal with their coach in an online journal. So at the beginning of the week, they get a journaling question or a prompt and they journal and their journal goes to their coach who then reads and responds to the journal every single day. And what is a coach doing? They're picking up these patterns of beliefs, understanding your perspectives, your values, your behaviors, and they're understanding really how you're wired. And so the coach is asking deeper and deeper and deeper questions and piecing together how you work, right? Mm -hmm. and, how, and what you believe to be true and how those beliefs lead to your behaviors, sometimes your actions, sometimes your inactions, and ultimately your outcomes. I'll give you a perfect example. The other day I was on a virtual webinar. So I was the instructor or the, the presenter, okay? And I gave everybody a little puzzle. It was literally like a visual puzzle. It was a bit of a trick. I don't want to give it all away. There were some numbers there. Mm -hmm. And I asked, do you know the answer? Nobody knew the answer. But one woman said, I didn't even try because it looked like a math problem. Mm -hmm. And I'm not good at math. So here's what's interesting. It wasn't a math problem. There was no math involved. Oh. Right? So what she did was she didn't even try because she had a belief that she's not good at math. So how many things do we not even attempt because we have a belief that we're not experienced enough, not smart enough, not skilled enough, just not enough? Mm -hmm. I think that if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to face basically everything in front of you is, a, is unknown to you when you first start, right? Yeah. So you need to be able to um, be okay with that feeling of maybe feeling like you don't quite yet understand what's going on, but not to give up on that. Did you ever feel that way in your journey? And how did you talk to yourself at that point? Well, at the beginning, I was afraid that there were so many parts of the business that I was not skilled at. You know, like what you want me to do my accounting I don't know how to do accounting and don't get me wrong. I have a master's degree in business, but I still didn't know how to do accounting, right? Like you, you want me to do the books, right? Like, so there were all these bits and pieces that I was afraid to do. Uh, and I was one of the first people again, 16 years ago, imagine I was doing teleseminars way back then when they weren't even as cool as they are now. And, you know, you had to put together, you know, the, the sign up page and all the technology pieces. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I'm, you know, I'm a good coach. I don't know how to make sign up pages and graphics. And, you know, there were a million things I didn't know how to do. Mm -hmm. And my, my approach was, let me go find someone who does. Right. So um, there were lots of places where I felt terror because I was not equipped. 
you know, again, my approach was I'm not going to be equipped, but there are people out there who are. Let me go find them. So you sought help, you sought community, maybe even just to talk it over with somebody else could provide some clarity there too. Exactly, exactly. And one of the things that I've studied is like, what really, what is the mindset? What is the thinking that differentiates extraordinary leaders from other people? And what I've discovered is that there are three, let's call them thinking strategies that extraordinary leaders naturally take on or naturally have that not everybody has uh, with ease. So the first thing they do is they're always challenging their beliefs, right? When they get stuck, they ask themselves this question, what do I believe to be true? And how are those beliefs getting in my way? Right? Like, what do I believe to be true? That's a very important question. The second thing is they're resourceful. Now you might think, well, I've heard that before. That's not so new, but extraordinary leaders think about resources differently. They think to themselves like, Anything is accessible to me. There's no shortage of talent. There's no shortage of money. There's no shortage of resources out there in the world. And I am entitled, and not in an entitled kind of way, can have access to them. I'm allowed. And then the last thing is that they have this crazy focus where they're very, very clear about what it is they want. And they go for what they want with absolute kind of determination, almost like, you know, they have blinders on They say, this is what I want, period, end of story. I'm not sacrificing that for anything. I wanted to talk about purpose with you because I think a lot of people hear that and say, you know, I, I don't have that thing, that focus and that clarity that I yearn for. How do we develop clarity of purpose? You know, have you ever heard of Simon Sinek? He talks about what's your why? Yeah. So I am not a fan. Oh, I'll okay. tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because my why and your why and his why and her why, they're essentially the same. Okay? We all have the same purpose. What's the purpose? Why do we do anything? The reason we do anything is we believe it's going to bring us fulfillment, happiness, satisfaction, joy. That's why we do anything. That's why we get married. That's why we run podcasts. Because we feel like it's going to fulfill us somehow. Okay? So doesn't matter the venue, right? You might do podcasts, I might do coaching, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not a question of what's your why. The real question is what is your why not? What's standing in the way? What's really interfering with your ability to say, here's what I want? What are the beliefs that prevent you from speaking up and claiming it? What's getting in the way of you taking the action you know you need to take in order to get where you need to go. Can you give an example? For example, lots of people want to start companies. Lots of people want to start businesses, but they don't. So the question is, why not? Well, I don't have the money. I uh, need to go to school. I don't have the experience. I'm not old enough. No one's going to buy from me. I'm not a good salesperson. And on and on and on. That whole list of excuses. But those excuses are really beliefs. Those are the why nots. And those are the things that are important to address. Oh, removing those, you know, built-in obstacles that only we can address. Yes, correct. Okay, I see. Make sense? Yeah, what you're saying is get clear on the kind of roadblocks and beliefs that are our why not to doing something. And once we get 
that out of the way, the why is clear. Well, the, the why is uh, the reason I'm doing it is because I feel like it's going to be fulfilling. Yeah. Right. But like, again, you know, the specifics around the what will be fulfilling will be different for each person. You know, for for maybe your neighbor becoming a ballet dancer will be fulfilling. Not so much for me. Right. And all that isn't important. That's about preference. So sure. Go be a ballet dancer. The question is, so why haven't you done that yet? What's mm-hmm. getting in the way? What's stopping you? And you find that once people can address those beliefs and turn them into something that helps them, they'll, they'll start seeing results. Absolutely, because then they will start taking actions that prior to this, they never thought possible. They never thought they could doors open that they never even saw existed they exist before them right so what happens is you suddenly see opportunities you've never seen before you suddenly have conversations you've never had before you're suddenly talking to the right people you're in the right place at the right time because you're open because now you're thinking in terms of possibilities instead of impossibilities everything shifts yeah actually the name of your coaching frame of mind that is where, you know, we shift our perspective, we shift the beliefs, and that's the foundation for for our life changing in a different way. That's right. Now, what's interesting is, like, so many people invest in so many things, right? You invest in your wardrobe, you invest in a car, you invest in a house, you invest in a vacation, not lately, but generally, right? Like, you invest in things, you invest in education, but so few people invest in really understanding how to leverage their, their own mindset, their own thinking, how to build that critical muscle that is the game changer in success. When you coach people, how do you measure their results? Like, what are the metrics? Yeah, it's a good question. What we do is at the beginning of coaching, we're doing lots of things to measure, by the way. But at the beginning of coaching, we're asking them to fill out what we call a self-assessment. So measure how satisfied do you feel with your career? How much stress do you have? Um, How healthy or how satisfied are you with your relationships? And then we measure those same things after coaching and we notice a wild change, like a dramatic change. That's one way we assess the impact of our coaching. Another way that we assess the impact of our coaching is through their journaling process. At the beginning of their coaching, they're journaling and they say, well, here's what's going on. Here's what's frustrating me and here's how I dealt with it. Well, guess what? the same kinds of things pop up except they're dealing with it differently and those very same things don't frustrate them as much so we're also assessing emotional reaction to the same triggers Mm, right because the same thing's gonna happen like if you're in sales you know you get turned down another time but the way you deal with it will completely change well and it i mean that's one example another example could be like you know, my brother is a pain in the butt and he really irritates me and I get really, really angry and pissed off when he behaves the way he does. Okay, well, 10 weeks later, my brother hasn't changed. We didn't coach your brother, we coached you. And your brother behaves the same way, except it doesn't rattle you anymore. Mm-hmm. And you are responding to your brother very differently. It really reminds me of 
Gandhi's quote, be the change you wish to see in the world. That's right. Except people don't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, tell us about your new program, Group Coaching with Kim. So I have a team of coaches. And so over the past few years, more and more of our clients have been getting coached with our amazing coaches. Now, what's amazing about our coaches is not only are they certified and they've, you know, been with me for years and years, but they all started off as clients, every one of them. So they are committed to doing their own personal development work. They're, you know, they, they make this part of their lives. But I haven't coached people in a while, really. I have, you know, a handful of clients that have been with me for years and years and years, and I haven't really taken on any new clients. But with everything happening in the world, COVID, I see so many people struggling, so many people suffering, so many people having a hard time that I decided to create a group coaching experience for people. And so what happens in this group coaching experience, they journal together. So they're in a journaling community. They can journal privately. They can journal just to their coach, which is me, or they can journal together and, and share their journals with one another. Okay, so that's what's happening. They get a journaling question at the beginning of the week. And then once a month, there's a coaching call with me. And what happens is before the call happens, they send in their questions. They say, hey, can you read this journal? Can you help me with this problem? And so I have all the participants who are submitting something that they want addressed. And on that call, I literally coach live and on the spot. But typically, if I coach, let's say you were in the group, if I coach you, the people in the group would benefit from that as well. Because usually, the thing you're struggling with is not so unusual. It's similar to what other people are struggling with. And so the benefit of group coaching is to to kind of be in a situation where you're getting coached, even though I'm talking to somebody else, and you're hearing that you're not alone and you have the support of other people in the group. It's a very powerful experience and it's like incredible value. Now here's the really crazy part. Normally this would cost $250 a month for group coaching. But because we're in the middle of this pandemic, I've decided to charge $25, not $25 a month, but $25 for three months of coaching until the price goes back up to its normal rate. Wow. That's crazy, right? Yeah. You're doing it because COVID. Because COVID. And we just want to support people. We want to get people in journaling, talking to each other, expressing themselves, like moving through this faster, building their emotional resilience, understanding that, yes, it's been hard, it's been challenging, it's been strange, but where's the gift? Let's find it fast. Who's the ideal client? The ideal client is the person who's willing to express themselves, to come in and share what's going on, to put up their hand in that group environment and say, can you please help me with this problem? The person who wants to move ahead, doesn't want to sit in the sidelines anymore. Somebody taking responsibility. Yeah, the person who says, okay, like, I get it. I'm going to get something out of it and I'm going to make sure I do. Thank you so much for sharing that. Go to frameofmindcoaching.com and it's right there on the page under coaching. There's group coaching. There's a sign up button. Just sign up. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kim, for being on the show. It's been awesome.